0: Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the assembled be received by you, Lord. Feed into our hearts. Guide, encourage, equip, inspire us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ. Amen. So I love this season as we move from Christmas and and the coming of our Lord and Savior to Bethlehem into the stories of Epiphany, the stories of how that message begins to spread out from there. What I like about the Epiphany stories, uh, the spreading of the good news, is these are people who weren't there. These are people who are still waiting, people who were confused by the fact that God had delayed I think it's relevant, I think a lot of us feel that way. A lot of us feel like, well, we pretend and we put on the right face and we celebrate Christmas and, and we get all happy and we decorate our homes, there's a part of us that still wonders, you know, God, why haven't you answered that prayer? Why is this unresolved in my life? Why am I still waiting, Lord, if you love me? Why haven't you responded? Why haven't you come in your strength? to relieve me from this burden that continues on. Despite the fact that I celebrate your birth, despite the fact that I know of your death, your resurrection, your power, and your promises, I'm still waiting, Lord. You know, maybe you can relate to that. It's a relevant time, especially in this age when our friends and our family and we ourselves tend to focus on the good, the better, and the best. That's what social media has done to us. You know, we share our best gifts. We share our best meals. In weeks to come, I'm going to be envying your best winter vacations. Best parties, best family gatherings, all these pictures that you post. Best Christmas decorations, best adventures, best accomplishments in the last year. Why, even your best dressed families most physically fit. You even have better pets than I do. You know, it's what social media reminds me. By contrast, the overwhelming majority of us are on the outside looking in. We feel inadequate by comparison. You know, we don't share all of those things that you are constantly putting in front of our eyes. We feel inferior by comparison or, or diminished by your success and the blessings of the good, the better, and the best that other people seem to have all nailed down. One of the often overlooked truths of these Christmas stories about Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth and even Jesus is that they too were uh, not numbered among the good, the better, and the best. They were kind of on the outside of society looking in. Everything about their lives suggested that they were insignificant. And yet these stories remind us as God comes into their life living in these obscure places where they lived. Reminds us that God knew their names. That God knew their concerns, their worries, their fears, their dreams, their hopes, their frustrations, and their failures. God knew them. God cared and God provided, and through their example, and through God coming into their life, we can take courage as well. We can anticipate that God will do the same for us. They were no better, no worse, and neither are you. Despite what the, West, the rest of the world considers uh, most important or most significant. Simeon was one of those guys. He was living in the shadows of the good, the better, and the best. He had nothing to really post on his Twitter feed or his Facebook account. You know, all that was going good in his life. We read of his story in Luke chapter 2, a little further down than the story of the birth of Jesus. Beginning at verse 22. It was time for their purification. Actually, the purification of Mary. We're going to get into that in just a little bit. Uh, It was a time when they went up to Jerusalem to make an offering for the first Uh, born child. As required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child, so his parents took him to Jerusalem to present their baby to the Lord and to acknowledge that the Lord was the gift of that child. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, Leviticus chapter 12, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. I always assumed, you know, when I was uh, reading these stories for years, that Simeon was a priest who was serving the Lord there, or that he was maybe a high priest, that he was certainly, uh, you know, a, a person connected to the religious practice of the Jews. But it just says he was a guy. He was just a guy living in Jerusalem. Just an obscure man named Simeon. But he was righteous and he was devout. He wanted to order his life according to the priorities of the Lord. And he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and to rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And God had revealed to Simeon that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him into the temple... So when Mary and Joseph came in to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. And God said, this one over here, Simeon. These folks coming in just now. They don't look like much, but the baby they're carrying is very special. He took that child in his arms and he praised God saying, sovereign Lord, now you can let your servant die in peace as you have promised. For I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to the Gentiles or to all the nations, and He is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were also amazed that this stranger came out of nowhere, took their child, and praised God in this way, amazed at what was being said about their baby. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said, especially to Mary, To you, Mom. This child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts, in fact, the Greek sense of that phrase is the thoughts of every heart will be revealed. And unfortunately, in his life and by his death, a sword will pierce your very soul too. Mary had probably already studied many of these prophecies. We know from her Magnificat, that, that great song of praise that she sang uh, to God when she went down to see Elizabeth, that she was very well aware of where all this would lead. and It was a reminder to her and by this man, Simeon, that it was so. You know, apart from the birth of Jesus, there was really nothing special about Mary and Joseph. We know that even from the text here today. It says they went up according to the law of Moses to present their child to the Lord. This is the law of the tithe. Now we we think of the tithe as as, uh, the first of our income is given back to the Lord. But in fact, the law of the tithe is that everything, the first of everything belongs to God. And it was uh, probably more distinctly taught in the uh, culture of the first century Because when they harvested, they took the first of their harvest. When they had animals give birth, they took the first of their animals. Everything in their mind was given to God. In fact, their first child was also dedicated to God. And it had to be redeemed. God didn't want them to bring all their babies to Jerusalem uh, so that they would be raised in the temple. But he wanted this concept you know, taught them that the first child, especially the first son, was a dedicated Levite, a dedicated priest to God. You can take him home and you can raise him, but I want you to go through this practice to remember that it really is from me, and I have given you this gift, and you should make an offering to redeem this child. Now, if you look in Leviticus chapter 12, it says that for the firstborn child, especially a boy, a lamb should be presented. And then also a turtle dove or a pigeon for a sin offering. Now, it isn't a sin to have a child. (laughs) But it was just a concept of of just like when we go through here, uh, a confession before communion. It's just a reminder that we are unworthy. And this is a gift from God who is perfect. And we don't really deserve to stand in his presence. And so they would bring this pigeon as a sin offering or a reminder of their unworthiness to God. And then this lamb was to be presented also as a thanks for this special gift, this gift of this first child. Now, it also says further on in just a few verses down from where it describes a lamb and a pigeon that if you are poor or impoverished, then you can just present two pigeons. And so what this tells us is that before the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph were insignificant. They did not have the best street address. You know, they lived in a small, uh, indistinguished village and they were poor. It also reminds me too that you know, when the Magi came from the east, they probably had not visited yet. The text tells us that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day and then 33 days later or 40 days since uh, the birth of the child, they were to make this offering to God. Uh, had the Magi come and brought their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, they would not have been impoverished. They could have easily afforded a lamb. In fact, also the the account of Herod uh, sending out his soldiers to destroy every child up to two years of age gives you the impression that perhaps this was a year after the star had appeared before the Magi came first to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. And it also says that the uh, star appeared over a house where they were staying. And so uh, Mary and Joseph had not yet received those gifts and they had gone up to the temple still wondering what would become of them. So Before the birth of Jesus, they were insignificant and still thought of themselves that way. And this is not an accident. This is God's intention that he would choose the insignificant. And that his own son would be raised in humility. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said, My servant, the Messiah, will grow up before my presence like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground, not fertile ground. There will be nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing that would attract you to him. No one would say, wow, he's going to be something. In fact, just the opposite. He will be despised and rejected, a man of sorrow, acquainted with deepest grief. And others will turn their back on him. They will look the other way. He will be despised and no one will care. This is God's intention to choose what the world despises. And make it honorable. And make it great. And even bring about our salvation through this way. Before the birth of Jesus. Before the birth of Jesus, there was nothing special about Simeon either. The Bible just says he was a righteous man. He was devout. And he was looking for the consolation of Israel. These were tough times. And he was wondering, where are you, Lord? Why haven't you rescued your people? Don't you care about us? We're living in a day of partisan politics. We're living in a day of war and fear of war. We're living in a day of terrorists. We're living in a world where the religious elite don't honor you as they should, not with their hearts. They're heaping rules on people. And we know, Lord, that you're not calling people to rules. You're calling people to a relationship. And you're not a God who judges. You're a God who loves. Where is this message, Lord? Why won't you come and comfort your people? Why won't you come and rescue us from these days? Even their king was a, a puppet of an oppressive Roman rule. And he was more abuse than protector. The faithful, much like the faithful today, feel abandoned by God. Where are you, God? You know, why is the world such a mess? Where are our politics all torn up? Come, Lord, console us, comfort us. Put things right. Where are you, God. The Bible tells us about the godly people of the Bible. It says, people who say the things that they say were realizing that they were foreigners and strangers in this country. And had they wanted to go back to a country that was their own, they would have had opportunity. But as it is, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God and he has prepared a city for them. You know, always... Those who march by the beat of God's drum feel a little put off by what's going on around us, by what the powerful are doing and what the values of our society are. That's how Simeon felt. Lord, comfort us. Come rescue us and bring us out of these difficult times. The Lord honors those that the world ignores. This text tells us that it had been revealed to Simeon, that he would not see death until the Lord comes. The Holy Spirit had come upon him. That's not just something that happens for Simeon. That's something that God wants to offer all of his children. It's something that he wants to offer you while you're still waiting for that unanswered prayer, that that rescue from that oppressive thing that you're experiencing in your life. He availed himself to the word of God. And in the word of God, he found that comfort. Paul says the same thing about his preaching, about the things that we find in the Bible that we read today. He says, my message doesn't come to you just with persuasive words, able to convince you about what is best, what is good, and what you ought to do. No, it comes to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes to you with a demonstration of power. Elsewhere, the Bible says, you know, the word of God is like a living thing. It can pierce your heart. It can reveal your intentions and your deepest desires. And it can give you the comfort that Simeon found despite the conditions of his age. While you wait for God's rescue, while you wait for God's answer, God will reassure. God will remind you of his care. And he will give you What the scripture says is the peace that surpasses understanding. The peace you can't explain. The peace that you should not have based on the circumstance of your life. But the peace that God wants you to have. He makes it available to you in worship. He makes it available to you in his word. In devotions. In time you spend with him in prayer. And then finally, the Lord not only honors those, the Lord also provides for his own What a day that must have been. I I can only imagine when Mary and Joseph, not accustomed to being in the temple, a, a huge and majestic place, people from a small village, you know, the other side of the country, you know, country folk coming into this majestic place, wondering, what do I do? Where do I go? And then this man approaches them and recognizes them and recognizes their baby. What a moment that must have been when God provided for them. Do you pray for moments like that? I pray that your eyes will be open because I do believe that God does provide for you in ways that pass your notice. Just pray every day that God would open your eyes to see those blessings coming into your life. That you might take encouragement from his hand and from his favor. When he answers those prayers, maybe not in the way that you intend, not in the way you direct, but God doesn't take orders from you. You know, he is God, you are not. Allow him to minister according to your need and not according to your wants and your desires and according to your predictions. The Lord will provide for his own. For this is sure, the Lord doesn't play favorites. You know, I I love... Uh, growing up in, in a, a liturg- liturgical church be- because uh, these, these words uh, from Simeon uh, come back to me. You know, we, we used to sing them at the end of every sermon. They were called the Offertory. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. The reason I loved it, because I knew as a boy that the service was almost over. And uh, pretty soon we could go home. <laughs> Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. I memorized that. Let us go. Free us from this place. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which you have prepared for all people. It's the same thing that the shepherds heard from the angels. This message is for you and for all people. A light to enlighten the Gentiles. Not just coming in fulfillment of the prophecies made to the Jews. But for all people, for the Gentiles as well. In fact, he took the most qualified of all the apostles to preach to the Jews. Namely, Paul, because he was a a Pharisee. He was an expert in the law. And he said, Paul, I want you to bring this message not to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And the entire New Testament is about Paul going to places where uh, Jews didn't necessarily exist in the majority to bring this message because God wants you also to know there's no such thing as someone outside of God's love, outside of God's care, outside of God's concern. You know, a light to enlighten the Gentiles, but also the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Jews, the glory of your people, Israel, the Lord always has, the Lord still does, and the Lord always will honor and provide for his own, for you, no matter how diminished you feel, no matter how by comparison you feel inadequate or insignificant. God knows your name. He knew the name of all these people. Mary Joseph living so far away from Jerusalem. He honored them. He knew the names of Zechariah and Elizabeth. He knew the name of Simeon. God will encourage and provide and ultimately answer your greatest need. Remember that story of uh, the rich man and Lazarus where the rich man had everything he wanted in this world. You know, He had people who managed his social media. He didn't have to do it himself. And Lazarus, on the other hand, barely ate the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. But in paradise, in eternal life, Lazarus was the one who was blessed and rewarded for his faithfulness. And the rich man called out from hell saying, you know, please Lord, rescue me. And the Lord said, during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted. Lazarus had nothing. But now he is being comforted. And you obviously made some bad choices. During this season, you know, one of our radio stations in town just, just plays a constant 24 hour Christmas music. Uh, you know, you can get your fill of that after a while, but it's kind of fun to, to click over there because they have to fill so much time. They'll play stuff that uh, you don't normally hear. It's not the, the standards, the classics. And one of them that they played that I really love, and it reminded me again of how poignant and how powerful it is, is I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It's become one of my favorites. We don't sing it in church. It's kind of a complicated song, but it's a powerful song because of the message. It was written in 1863 on Christmas Day. Can you imagine somebody on Christmas Day saying, I'm gonna sit down and write a poem. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, at age 24, He had married his uh, first wife. Four years later, she died of a miscarriage in childbirth. Baby also died. And it shook him to the core. Seven years after that, though, he he met another woman, a a young gal, 24, he was 36 by then. And he married her and she became the love of his life, Francis. She birthed him six children. And he was uh, so thrilled and so happy with what God had done to rescue him. But then one day while she was sealing letters with wax, putting uh, locks of her children's hair in envelopes to save, mothers do those kinds of things, I guess. And uh, the flame from the candle caught her uh, elaborate dress on fire. And she screamed and Henry came running in from his study and grabbed up a, a small rug and tried to put the flames out, but it was too far gone and he burned himself horribly, so horribly in his face and on his hands that he couldn't even attend his wife's funeral when she died the next day. That happened two years before he wrote this hymn. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, 1861. They wrote the hymn in 1863. The summer before he wrote the hymn, in fact, that fall, his firstborn son, you know, the, the glory of his wife Frances, had volunteered to go into war, to the Civil War, and And Henry had the means to keep him out of war and and begged him not to go into the Civil War. But he went anyway because he felt it was his civic and patriotic duty. And in his very first battle, he was mortally wounded, nearly died, barely survived. But it was still questionable on Christmas Day when he wrote this song, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. So in that setting, he was feeling diminished. He was feeling insignificant. He was wondering, where are you, Lord? Why why don't you care? Everybody's celebrating Christmas, but I'm not feeling it. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet, the words repeat, peace on earth, goodwill to men. But when everybody's shouting that and you don't feel it, you really feel on the outside. The verse goes on, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. I'm not feeling it now. My circumstance is not there, but I know God has not forgotten me. It's not a new thought. It wasn't original with Henry. David in the Old Testament, one of my favorite Psalms, 34 says, 37, says, do not fret because of evildoers. Don't fret because of people who on Facebook show that they have a better life than you. Do not be envious. Those without the Lord will wither quickly like the grass. They will fade like the green herb. You trust in the Lord and do what is right. Dwell on the land and cultivate your faithfulness. Delight in the Lord and he will bring it to pass. He will give you what you need in life. He will bring forth your righteousness and your judgment like the noonday. And it goes on in that vein and concludes with these words. For the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Speaking to you. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked. He saves them because they have taken their refuge in him. Those are his words of promise to provide, to encourage, to inspire, and to ultimately answer your long-awaited prayers. Amen. We pray, gracious Lord, we humble ourselves before you today, and and we confess, Lord, that we've been confused by uh, your hesitancy to enter into our troubles and and to resolve our difficulties, and and we perhaps have even accused you of, of even being impotent, or not caring or not aware. Lord, we know from these stories that that just is not the case. Help us to realize that you are God and we are not and that you have our best interest at heart and you have all the means available to minister according to our need, not according to our desires. Lord, we are fickled and we are shallow. You are deep and you are profound. We offer our lives in service to you, Lord. Lord, we believe, help us with our doubts in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand and and join in this uh, beautiful song that speaks about the realities of life and yet the hope that we find in the birth of Christ our Savior.